What was the first business you ever started? <laughs> ever. Uh, so for those who are old school, um, Major League Gaming was the industry leader when I was 12, which was, uh, I don't know, like 2007, 2006-ish. Um, but I started playing video games really seriously, you know, competitively. You know, and I started playing different, different was friends games game? and whatnot. Uh, Call of Duty 4 was the first one I got really serious with. You know, okay. I think that was a big one. <laughs> and um, so I, I, you know, I started playing competitively and I, and I tried to get into MLG, Major League Gaming, but it was a point system. And it was so whacked out in the sense that, you know, you had to spend more money to obtain more points to climb the ladders. And points, you know, value mm. was, was essentially the way to do that, the only way. And um, so you had all these people that would spend lots of money and climb the ranks and play lots of matches and cool, cool. But it was like, I, you know, I'm gonna spend a hundred grand in order to get ranked, you Seriously. know, which is ridiculous. So I was like, fuck that. So that actually started the very first idea behind AGTL, American Gaming Tournament League. I branded it, got the logo created. That sounds legit. And I'm not joking, dude. My first car was a 99 Ford Explorer Sport with Mustang rims. I drove that bitch all the way around Metro Detroit, picking up money from various team owners and team, you know, team members and whatnot. 30 bucks a pop, 50 bucks a pop, eventually climbing to $100 a pop and playing just nightly tournaments, you know? And so, so how did you orchestrate the tournaments? Like how did, how did that part work? I built a website, dude. My very first experience building a website, I did Wix, you know, which is awful now. <laughs> I look back and I go, what the hell was I doing? But you were starting. Uh, I was starting, right? And yeah. So I built a website. And essentially it just kept the leaderboard, right? It had some information on there, had some cool ideas, but the idea behind it wasn't so much just the point system. It wasn't so much that, you know, your skill level dictated your ability to play. It was the style of the game. So at the time, Major League Gaming essentially just had very sophisticated and tight knit rules based on the map, based on the guns and what you could do with the guns and what you couldn't do with them. And so I, I kind of opened that up and by, by creating an open forum or open dialogue within the game, I had a few limitations that were sort of uneven, but I allowed for both sides to use their, their uh, best case scenario, right? So in other words, a team, team captain would come up and say, all right, we're gonna go to this map and we're gonna play this game type because that's our, that's our game that's type, our game. right? So it's best of three, you play that game, ref, there's a ref involved, right? Ref coordinates it, you know, signs, sets the game up, all the settings are set. Then it goes to the second team. They say, okay, we want to do team death match on this map. And, okay, great. So we do that. So if it goes to sudden death, it always ended up going to team death match. And it always went to one of three maps that the ref chose, right? That was un, as long as it wasn't priorly, uh, prior chosen. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, we started doing that. People loved it. And then we did our first public tournament, which was a midnight release at GameStop in 12 Oaks Mall, which is in Novi, Michigan, and a pretty big mall. And I mean, people just lined up, dude, hundreds of people lined up and we had people come through playing for a free copy of the game. So that's what, that's what we were doing. We signed up with uh, the GameStop manager at the time, um, Joe, and uh, you know, she let us do our thing, man. And wait, how old were you at the time? I was uh, 15. 15? 15. Wow. 15, man. Um, yeah, so we started doing that and I hosted every year for three years, Midnight Release Soul at three different GameStops, all simultaneously and running tournaments. And I also had plans on starting a season until you know copyright got in the way and I decided <laughs> that probably wasn't a great idea to use somebody else's game and make it my own. Right. <laughs> but, uh, and that's ultimately what led to the demise of it. But it was a great idea, man. We, we had a great following. And uh, you know, for what it was, 
being 16, you, you know, I had two jobs at the time. Plus I was doing this, you know, I was working as a teller at a bank and I was also working at a chicken shack, right? Chicken and it, shack. Hey man, you gotta, you gotta make money. <laughs> exactly. So I was hustling, you know, I was hustling and, um, yeah, I did so that. So where, where did the decline start happening within the business model? Like you, you started building out the tournaments, mm -hmm. uh, you were doing these events. At what point did you see like, oh man, this, this, I can't scale this anymore. So, um, it wasn't necessarily the decision that we can't scale. It was in the way that we wanted to scale was unfeasible, um, because of copyright issues. So it had to do with the game itself. It was like yeah. you couldn't build tournaments around this game because you yeah. don't own the game. Because we needed permission from Activision. Activision, right? Okay. And Activision is not going to give some 15-year-old kid permission to run tournaments on their behalf. Essentially, at the time, Call of Duty League wasn't even a thing. We were mm. we were the Call of Duty League. Major League Gaming was the Call of Duty League, and they got rights from Activision to do that. So you know, we could do it under the wraps for so long. I can only drive my Ford Explorer around Metro Detroit <laughs> so much, you yeah. know, and. Um, you know, it came to that. So we, I understood the copyrights. Even at a young age, I did my research. I understood, okay, here's what we can do. Here's what we can't do. And I said, okay, let's segue. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's do a series of free-for-all tournaments, a series of 2v2s, a series of 3v3s, um, and really switching it up, you know, and, and bringing some different ideas to the table to, to keep it under the radar. But to, you know, the idea of this was to push the envelope, right? Move the needle to you know, essentially like a players association for, for, you know, a national hockey league or national basketball association, right? Protect the players. And that was what other leagues were designed not to do. They were, they were designed to protect the interests of the company. Of course. And so, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we brought some new ideas. Uh, we tried segueing and ultimately that's what led to the demise because the segue and trying to build it out through that, that steps, we just realized there were too many, too many gaps. So and, what did you, uh, what were you trying to segue into? Yeah, so all online, um, as opposed to in-person, we had done a series of in-person ones, which were fairly successful. Um, but, uh, but online is tough, right? Because you don't have that commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you have the, the word of mouth. Right. Yeah, I, I will sign up. I will yeah. make it at this time. But in reality, the execution was, was there. We were executing, but the best way, probably not. So you keep saying we. Was this, did you have like a team of people that yeah. you were building this with? So I, I came up with the first idea at my cousin's house upstairs in his room at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got pissed off at somebody who was actually an MLG gamer, pro gamer at the time, and I had gotten into a lobby with him and beat him. And, and I got pissed <laughs> because I went on MLG and I looked at the points and I'm like, there's no fucking way I can get there, dude. No way. So I said, screw this. And I got hopped right on the computer, man, and started building a website just right then and there, 4 a.m. on a Saturday. Goodness gracious. Man. So, um, yeah, I started doing that. My cousin uh, helped me out, you know, with the execution of the idea at its very early stages. And then I brought in my buddy, Matt, who was a big time Call of Duty player. Uh, very good. Uh, still is to this day. And... Um, yeah, we, we just, the three of us tackled it, man. We built it out. We, we started to build a brand around, you know, our gamer tags and what we were doing before Twitch, before anything else. And we were just trying to build a name for ourselves in the league. And uh, yeah. So you, you touched on a pretty interesting piece of what I think is, is your psychology and the psychology of a person that is a business starter mm -hmm. um, or an entrepreneur or business owner, which is going from idea to real, like reality right like yeah. it didn't you had an immediate switch like it's you had this interaction with this person yeah. online there was no lag. you beat this guy and there's this immediate i have an idea i can make this work i'm going to start now what do, what do you think 
like creates that? Because I, I talk you know, to a lot of people with ideas, right? They're like, hey man, I've got a great idea for this. Yeah. I've got a great idea for that. But they haven't yeah. actually taken the steps to start executing. What is it that that brings you to taking that that step? So there are a couple elements that I think are point, uh, important, but, but really um, paramount. One is no lag, right? There should not be a lag between the switch going on, you making that switch in your head saying, I'm gonna do this. Mm -hmm. And, and actually doing whatever the first thing is you're supposed to do. But wouldn't a lot of people call that planning? What no. you're calling lag? And that's where the second second piece of advice comes in. And, and there's a sweet spot, I believe, and, and you know this is nothing entirely theoretical, but there's a sweet spot, I believe, between planning and executing without a plan. And uh, you know to understand the framework of your idea, obviously important, right? To understand how it can be executed like just the possibilities of how it can happen and how it can be potentially successful and, and drawing that vision out uh, of your brain and, and trying to apply it, super important. But when it comes to planning stages and the details of the stages, you know, I, you know I'm gonna go a little old school here, but that's, that's for the VCs. You know, um, they can be useful for yourself and for your team and for your company, um, don't get me wrong, but when you're talking about bringing an idea to just to face value and, and putting it you know, in the world, there's got to be no lag and you have to simply understand the idea well enough to know you can execute it and just do the first thing that you have to do to execute it. And I think that that's so how much detail do you need? So we've you know, we've talked about business before and we've gone into, you know, we'll start with just an idea and then we've planned it out almost what 25 years and how it's going to look right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, by the time we get to that stage, we'll be ready to transition over to, you know, the, the this stage. And so Early on, how developed does a business idea need to be from a minimal perspective for you to start? Double for you time. to say, all right, it's time to go. Double time. What does that mean? That means if you're in the business, you've been executing for a day, the business is a day old, right? The idea is a day old, think a day ahead. If the business is three months, think three months ahead, right? A year, think a year ahead, right? And I mean, actually, if you're talking about strategic planning, plan for that year. If you're a year into the business, you should be planning for next year, 12 months from then, right? Okay. Uh, but if you're only three months in... Well, I'm talking not... about the step before that. Oh, okay. Before you've even started the business, mm -hmm. how much of a plan do you need to have in place before that mm. is start? How much about the business should you know, right? Like, I think that's a, that question's pretty relative. I think it, it depends on the idea, but just, just from you know, basic, basic understanding of, of how the idea can be executed. As long as you have an understanding of how it can be executed, you don't have to know um, exactly how it's going to play out necessarily. You just have to understand the possibilities. So if we take your real example, you were frustrated at 3, 4 a.m., you got up, mm -hmm. you didn't have a marketing strategy. No. You didn't, you, no, you didn't but have a real business strategy. But I understood where the marketing was. Right. See, because I was a gamer, I had the ability to. I, you saw I, the potential. Right. In the right. But it I had the perspective yet. of the gamer. I knew how this was going to be valuable for the gamer. So to me, the marketing uh, was not really marketing. It was just making a product for a player. Right. And the player would do all the marketing because the idea and the execution is going to be so good. And I'm going to make sure of that. Right. So okay. that's that. That's where that sweet spot kind of comes in. It's very relative. Um, I think you feel it though. Yeah, right? it's, it's a, a feeling. It's a chemistry. Right? It really is. Like, it's chemistry with you, the pieces and, and assets in place or that you put in place. And, you know, even at a young age, 
you know, you're bringing up some interesting thoughts here. At a young age, I knew I needed a Matt Tober. I knew I needed a Brandon Taylor, right? Um, to help me execute this idea. And it wasn't necessarily because I was incapable. It was, you know, from an early age, I understood, even though I didn't fully know how to, uh, to execute on it and fully understand all the, the angles of it, but an archetype. I knew my archetype and I knew what I was capable of and I knew what I, what I could do, what I couldn't do, but I also knew what I was really strong in, but really weak in. And I think that a Matt Topper and a Brandon Taylor for me and that idea brought those two elements and I understood that from a young So who are those two individuals? Uh, so Brandon Taylor is my cousin. Okay. Um, actually, not even blood related. He's a former marriage cousin. Okay. Uh, Matt Topper is a buddy of mine I've uh, known for, well, since freshman year of high school. Okay. Yeah. So, so you felt like they brought a different perspective and when there was synergy between all three of you mm-hmm. is when you feel like you knew like, okay, this is, we all felt the potential. Is that kind of how I'm sensing yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to, um, this is nothing, uh, uh, that I would necessarily give an advice, but, uh, Brandon Taylor, uh, great guy, you know, one of the hardest workers you ever meet, um, just had a very nonchalant way about it. You know, I'm just going to roll in. I'm just going to, you know, play, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to be the best. That's it. Yeah. You know, very, very nonchalant, but understood, you know, from a very simple aspect, how he was just going to fit in. Right. Yep. And you need a guy like that. You yep. need a guy that doesn't have a plan that doesn't need to execute this way or that way is just moldable liquid and goes with the flow. Yep. And, uh, and sometimes the very underline or, or under the radar, those guys are the most important piece, right? Especially in the early stages of a business that has certain complexities. So, well, I think you brought up some, some interesting points there. Cause I think we've both realized, you know, as we've tried to start multiple businesses that it takes a team, right? Oh, like you've got to have the people that have what you don't have, Mm-hmm. and bring things to the table that you don't um, a part of your team to make sure you've got a balance there because a lot of the times we get so focused on a, a singular idea that we forget a lot of the details and those people yeah. really really help outline a lot of those details um, and can help you avoid some major major pitfalls well you know and I think too to that point it's it's by happenstance you know those people I mean in some cases yes those people are put in those positions to make those calls and to and to give you their feedback from that perspective um, but in other cases I think it's just the um, the difference between executing that perspective and offering strategy from that perspective and, and and that's kind of not the best way to put it but that's the best way to sort of understand um, different levels of what you can bring to the table so if you're for instance Matt Topper um, great guy, understood his role, offered some feedback, but his feedback was more in the execution of it, right? He knew how the game should be set up best for the player. He knew how the game should be set up uh, best in the map with these weapons, right? He understood the execution side of it. And so while he wasn't necessarily offering me advice on how to do that, by doing that, himself as a player yep the execution gave me all the feedback i needed exactly. without him having to speak. he was pretty much live testing your product absolutely right? and he gave me all the feedback he gave I you needed, all the feedback right yep. and i think that's you know coming backwards or thinking more thirty thousand foot view you know when you uh when you look at things um from an umbrella standpoint you have to be liquid as 
as an owner, as a team leader, as you know, whatever that means, if you're leading a team of any kind, you have to be very liquid in, in ability, your ability to adjust to whatever the circumstances, right? So some people will give you direct feedback. Sometimes you have and to you gotta know who lines. those people are. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? You've got to know who those people are. I've got some uh, a friend of mine too, Brandon, and mm-hmm. he's throughout all my businesses I've had him involved just because he's someone that I can always count on to tell me like the real his real opinion on something. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the times people see how invested and how passionate you are about something, so they don't want to give you negative feedback, right? But that that makes things worse. That actually makes your product worse, right? It, it doesn't, you don't get the feedback that you need to improve your product or improve what your deliverable is. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've always run things past brand. And I, you know, I make a lot of music. I've made music back in the day and mm-hmm. I'd spend four five, six hours, you know, creating a song, recording, writing, putting it down. And I'd show it to Brandon and say, Brandon, what do you think? He's like, yeah, man, this, this sucks. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, thanks bro. Appreciate that hurt but i needed i needed to hear that and then and then he would follow that with and here's why like i can't really understand what you're saying um you know the instrumental piece of the music is a little bit too loud uh the quality of your voice is not great and then i was able to build on that and start working on those things and throughout other businesses that i've started i've I've needed that same person um so i think it's interesting that you know that we talk about that and bring up how important it is to have someone on your team that is giving you honest feedback 100 percent. you know what too though um i'll kind of i'll kind of flip the script on you too a little bit because i think simplifying they, they kiss right keep it keep it simple stupid is uh is the best way to approach it right and sometimes simplicity is having a guy like that who just is going to give you the raw data yep. as it comes in right real time um but for those that truly how do i put this understand their business but more so understand themselves and how they um what they bring to the table with the business i think when you have a friend that is just going to give you good feedback no matter what you can pay attention to the between the lines right and and understand that's just as valuable feedback you Mm -hmm. just have to pay closer attention you have to know your relationship with that individual to understand where that's coming from because even the change in tone with a couple of buddies of mine, mm-hmm. I know instantly what they're thinking. Yep. I know instantly how it's gonna come off. And I know, you know, I grade that in my head, you know, as an analytical mind. Uh, and I go, okay, well, here's here are the areas I need to focus on now. Right. So I think that's where you can go into I know you got a lot of experience with archetypes, you know, and understanding different personality types. And and I think that's how we kind of build our connections with our inner circle, our friends, our family, and we really get to know what their archetype is so Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about how i guess how that creates relationships and how you have different relationships with different types of personalities yeah um that's a super super good and and deep question so i I have this theory um definitely not anything uh (laughs) really developed not documented yet not documented (laughs) yet but um but i have this sort of uh horizontal horizontal vertical theory and um essentially the way I look at it is you look at horizontal first. You look at the people you surround yourself with. So if let's just say there are four different archetypes, which there are many more, but let's just say there are four, for example, you are archetype A, right? That means Alpha. that by definition, right, right. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, think, uh, I think if you're archetype A, you've got by definition B, C, and D, right? I think it's important to surround yourself with the B, C, and Ds. But 
when you, after developing your, your horizontal relationships, right? Understanding that you have all the, the other pieces to the, to the different sides of you that can help, you know, impact you or give you, give you a different perspective on life, give you a different perspective on business, whatever it's for, um, you then look vertical. And then you, you begin to develop this sort of um, staged sequence of, you know, what are they doing within their own lives to improve their mindset and improve mine, right? So then it becomes a more of a selfish thing, right? What are they doing to improve my mindset? What are they doing to improve my existence here on earth? Because I've got one life. And if you're talking about being the most productive and, and growth oriented, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that not just choosing a, a B, C, and D, but choosing a B, C, and D that have vertical loft, right? And, and a growth mindset to, to support that. And I think that that's the key. So often people will do one or the other thinking that that's the right thing. But the reality is that if you take two A types and you put them together, regardless of the fact that they're like-minded or whatever the case is, odds are they're gonna butt heads, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just the reality of it. And that's but see, of, isn't there isn't there a developmental piece to that, right? Because like even our relationship, we're we're very similar, mm -hmm. but as our relationship has developed, we've even learned just basic communication skills with each other. Right. Yeah. Like over time, there's certain things that probably yeah. in the beginning of us communicating, we weren't on the same page. Right. 100%. And then now as we've developed and grown, we we understand the importance of communication and the importance of looking and seeking to understand instead of seeking to prove a point or seeking to tell someone something yeah. that we're listening. So I think even the archetypes that are that may you know, be very similar, which could mm -hmm. cause disruption. Mm -hmm over time can actually find symmetry 100 percent, 100 percent. because there's two there's two aspects there, right there's the aspect of your internal and there's the aspect of your external right internally as we grow we mature we you know develop our personality we develop our communication skills all the various aspects of what make us up of who we are um that help us with that in communicating just across the board but when you have two people like our example right you and me who are very very similar and, uh, and tend to communicate uh, with two different perspectives, but in the same way. Um, we had to almost put ourselves in a position to grow with one another because it took another person to give you that aspect, to give you that perspective, um, and ultimately you know, push you to, to be better at communicating with your type of person, yep. right? And, uh, and ultimately that helps develop and form relationships. So I think it's a combination of both. I think you know, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, even on the flip side, if, if you're in a position where you don't have the luxury of being able to choose your surroundings and choose your, your environment, your people, everything, um, you have to take everything for face value and understand that everything is valuable. What yeah. are you going to take out of it and how are you going to grow from it? Right. What is this going to do for you in five years um, that, you know, maybe this other thing wouldn't. And I think that's that's just a critical, important piece, because a lot of times there's so much information in front of us, but we don't actually take it and see what we can learn from it, right? Like we just, we look at it as more information instead of saying, okay, like what could I learn from this person or this process mm -hmm. or this thing? You know, um, yeah. we can make an immediate judgment and, and, and think that, oh, okay, this person's not, you know, on my level or this person isn't doing anything respectable. But right. I think if we slow down, we start to realize that every single person adds value in some way and it's our job it's our responsibility really to figure out what that is and to to not just take from them but also give 
back to them, right? Like, well, that starts with empathy. And I'll ask you a question here in a minute, but I talk a lot about positivity, right? So I think that that's, that's the difference between having a positive mindset and a negative mindset. A positive mindset opens up the world to them, right? What can I do to help the world knowing that no matter what I do, I'm going to get value from it, right? No matter who I'm with or what the situation is, I'm going to get value from it. So you think less defensively, you think more um, empathetically, right? And so I guess my question to you is, is how do you approach your relationships with others? Like, do you look for different types of people that can make you better? Or are you looking for people that you can mesh well with, um, who you have a good understanding of and, and, and ultimately help? I think that? when, like, for me specifically, I guess there's two key areas. One being, if I know there's an opportunity or a very obvious and apparent opportunity to learn something from someone, I am gravitated towards that person, right? Like, I'm like, wow, they have knowledge that I don't have. I want to be around that person. Mm -hmm. I want to be surrounded with and that person. And you've always been like that. Yeah. I, I, actually, I think a lot of people are like that, um, yeah. whether they realize it or not. I agree. I, you know? Um, and I think the second piece of that is just an energy thing. I don't know what it is, but I can be around someone and just like immediately click. And, yeah. and I feel like there's just like this electrical connection with this person <laughs> and frequencies, man. yeah, like we're on the same wavelength and it's yeah. like, man, I don't, we're vibing. Yeah. You know, like the conversation, uh, the topics, um, just the energy itself. So I, I gravitate towards that as well. And, uh, I just think looking at those relationships and being able to slow down and, and understand what it is about someone that you that you like or that you find important um, and taking that time to do that really helps you build and grow that relationship because then you know over time like what you're looking for and why you're attracted to this person and then you also look for opportunities to add value back to that person yeah um so yeah man i think relationships are so much more complex than we ever generally talk about, right? We're just so used to communicating that we forget how complex these relationships are, right? Now, I'll, when I'm with one group of, of friends or people or a person, uh, my mindset is one way, you know, like, mm -hmm. and that affects everything that I think about and everything that I do, even the way I speak. And then when I'm around another group of people, like my mindset changes and Human I form nature. a different chemistry within the group. Yeah. It's not about being real or fake or like, oh, you're fake around these people. Like, no, it's when I'm around these people, I have a different energy and I feel something different mm -hmm. and my mindset's different and the conversation is different and it feels right. It feels just as right as when I'm around these people, but it's just different. Mm -hmm. and, and you get to experience those different types of relationships and create those bonds with different types of people. And it's critical to have because it's really what balances you is understanding what those different personality types are and seeing the pros and the cons and learning from each type, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. You know, one thing that's interesting is um, the pandemic brought a lot of, uh, we'll call it internal struggles from a lot of people to the surface, right? Uh, panic was in the streets, you know, people, you saw people's raw, real-time reactions to everything that was going on. And for the first time, arguably ever documented, you could see this. Mm -hmm. You can see, because of social media and everything, how everyone was reacting. Yeah. And, and I think you, in a situation like that, in this sort of crisis, you, you understand um, a lot better 
who you should and should not be talking to, right? Who is, who is going to positively impact your life? Mm. Who is going to negatively impact yep. your life? And I think too, that almost comes to performing within a crisis, right? So the people that, that ended up better mentally and physically or otherwise, um, out of the pandemic, for example, um, I think had a really good understanding and a good foundation of their positive mindset and relationships positively with other people. And so what that allowed them to do was focus a little bit more, pay attention to the important things a little bit more, um, and allowed them to really just kind of, kind of, I guess, unpackage the whole situation going on around the world and, and, um, ultimately put them in a position to, to better succeed as an outcome from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, no, I, I think things like the pandemic or any, you know, relatable crisis, what happens is almost this forced growth, right? Because a problem is being created and naturally for survival, we have to solve that problem. Um, and upon solving that problem, we actually solve other problems and then we also create new problems. Um, so I think having a mindset to your point within a pandemic of looking for the positives and, and acting on those is critical, but it's difficult. You know, it's so easy to see what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why it's, I admire you having that positive mindset and waking up and, and having those positive thoughts and creating a process to do that. And I think a lot of people, including myself, need to do that more often um, because it's just so easy to see what's wrong in life. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll be thinking about like where I am in life right now. And I'll have days where I'm like, this sucks. You know, I'm 30 years old and I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not where I thought I'd be. I'm not this, I'm not that. And, you know, this day sucks. And, and it just negative, negativity brings more negativity. Mm -hmm. um, but then inversely, I could look at my exact current situation and be like, man, I am blessed. <laughs> like, this is amazing. I'm alive, <laughs> right? Like, right. that's a good start. Um, especially coming from, you know, obviously the motorcycle accident and then mm -hmm. opportunities that I've had at work, opportunities I've created on my own outside of that, opportunities that have been handed to me. Um, and there's just a lot to be grateful for. So definitely, definitely operating within a crisis requires you to understand where to look for positivity mm -hmm. um, and then where to create it. Right. Because it may not exist yet, you know, and, and if it doesn't, then then, you know, like, OK, for this situation to get better, this is what needs to be done. And then you hold yourself responsible and accountable to doing those things. So one thing you mentioned was, um, you know, structuring your day and, and making sure you're sort of approaching each situation each day with a positive mindset. Right. How do you on your best day, your most positive day? What is the impact of that? You know, what is your, what's going through your mind on, on a day like that? What, uh, you know, what are the, the common denominators to a successful day for Austin Farmer? A successful day is planned. Um, a successful day has objectives. Do you plan the day before or do you plan the morning of? The ideal day would be planned before, right? The realistic day is yeah. planned about five minutes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the earlier you get ahead of that, the better. But it, it again comes back to creating processes that force you to do what you should be doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think an, an ideal day is me learning something. Simply like 
if I can look at the end of the day and have something that I solved through the process of learning, not through the process of asking someone to solve it for me or, you know, finding a, a loophole, but me actually learning something that the entire day is successful because I grew and I, I learned something. So that's really how, how I take successful days and non-successful days now. And sometimes those come from bad things happening and sometimes they come from good things happening. But growth, it, growth isn't shouldn't be looked at as positive or negative. It should always be looked at as positive. And it can come from negatives, but it's always positive because mm -hmm. you've grown, right? So I can go into work and they can say, Austin, you got, you got the promotion you always wanted. And I'd say, yeah, great. And that'd be a great day. And I can go into work and they say, Austin, you're not going to get promoted for the next five years. Hang in there. And then I'm forced to learn how to overcome that situation. And that learning and development that starts that day is positive growth. And I look at that still as a success because I learned something that day. But you face it too. That's the difference, right? You actually face whatever that fear is. Whatever yeah. That, that five-year commitment. Oh, God, what am I going to do five exactly. years? Exactly. I can't so do that. So many people look at it like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. When you face your fears, the things, your fears, by the way, are the things you often most complain about. Let's right. Just, let's just simplify that for everyone. Um, you know, when you're able to face those head on and in the moment, right? Then I talked about no lag earlier, no lag time, right? Just simply going into executing. What can I do to make this better? What can I do to learn from it? What can I do to impact exactly. anyone else from this situation in a positive way? I think that's super important. But real quick, like when you talk about, um, you know, a positive day and uh, an ideal day for Austin Farmer, what does that look like in a three month or six month setting? When you're setting a goal, you know, what's an ideal three or six months for Austin Farmer? You know, what, what is in total accomplished? Um, I think it, it takes understanding what that goal is first and breaking it down to, I guess, a three or six months. Because it all depends on the goal, right? I could set a goal right. that takes me 30 days to accomplish, or I could mm -hmm. set a goal that takes me five years to accomplish. So mm -hmm. the time frame is going to be a little bit different. Um, but you've got to understand your goal We've touched on that. We've touched on the importance of understanding why, mm -hmm. uh, why you're doing and pursuing what you're doing. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. I think we tend to ask how so often and we don't ask why enough. You know, every time we meet someone, how did you do this? How did you start this business? How did you, how did you lose the weight? How did you do X, Y, Z? But it's not how. Find out why they did it. Because I think when you know the why and you understand the why and you understand the depth then you understand if you can relate to it and if you have a strong enough why to actually pursue and achieve that thing, right? If they say, you know, I got on, I got on a diet and I lost weight and I did X, Y, Z because the negativity of not having that health in my life was so strong that mm -hmm. it caused me to be unhappy. And if you're out of shape and you're not where you want to be and you don't relate to that, then your, your why for, for achieving or following the same process that they follow to get there is weak. And it's, you won't be able to follow that process because your why isn't, you don't, you don't feel the same. You're doing yet. things for the as right reasons you. as opposed to not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I've got a funny story about that. So not really funny. It's, it's a good story, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's an educational story. So a couple weeks ago, um, we unfortunately had to let one of our newer guys go, um, just under three months he'd been with the company and you know, we're, we're you know, the entire analysis was, okay, well, how did he interview? Well, he interviewed great. 
you know, what was his mindset? Positive mindset, hard worker, came in every day with a great attitude, ultimately just didn't perform. And I feel, in my personal opinion, that it was for personal reasons. Um, so we talk about, you know, doing things for the right reasons. We, as a team, sat down and had really constructive, active conversations around what can we do to put this position, uh, this person in the position to win beyond our company, right? Um, what can we do to, to better his life and his situation so that this doesn't happen to him a second time, right? So he can keep that confidence and keep, keep running forward at his pace that he wants to run at. And we had so many good ideas and so many ways that we executed on that, that it almost warranted the question of, well, what is he doing for himself? You know, like what is he doing for himself to put himself in a, in a successful situation or position, right, to his own right? And, um, you know, it's just, it just comes down to, you know, everybody should take a beat and understand your why. Understand what you're doing, right? But why you're doing it is, is so much more important. Because yeah. when, and, and let's take career, for instance, right? So many people often form their life personally around their career because yeah. that's the society that's taught us, right? The 40 hour mm-hmm. work week, the nine to five gig, get your 75, $100,000 salary, yep. build up to it, right? And then you work for, you know, until you're 65 and then you retire and then you die. And that's yeah. just how it's supposed to go. Well, I, that's fucking bullshit. Now I'm Agreed. calling bullshit on that, you know? Um, so many more uh, constructive and, and positive ways you can live life that, that will ultimately better evolution, right? Yep. And so when you, when you form your career around your life, but more specifically going back to your goal setting, right? Understanding what goals you, you want to accomplish, right? What, what do you want to do in life? Break that down into goals, missions, objectives, yep. whatever you need to do, understanding that why. Ultimately, by definition, you form everything else around those goals, right? So even if you take $20,000 less salary, you're a lot happier because you have that extra 10 hours a week to play with your kids maybe, right? Or maybe that 10 hours a week is spent learning a language so that you can travel the world and you end up living in France one day because you mm-hmm. had such a great experience. And you know what? You just ultimately ended life the way you wanted to end it. Right. In a positive note, doing what you always loved and you did whatever it took to get there because you were doing it for the right reasons. Right. And you were the happiest and most joyful as a result of that. I think what can be difficult about about that, especially at a younger age, is knowing what's important to you. Right. And and knowing struggle with even as adults. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you what should you be pursuing? Mm -hmm. Right. Like and, and why should you be pursuing that thing? Um, that's something that's definitely not taught and, and hard to teach, but understanding why it's important to understand something, mm-hmm. right? Like, why should you know why you're doing something? Um, well, now you're getting into a rabbit hole of education too, because <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, let, just to touch on it, right? I mean, the education system is, I mean, let's call it a spade a spade. It's designed for us to fail, right? As well, in, I, a, in the country of the United States, it's designed for us to fail because it's so unequal i think it's designed to produce a certain type of work it's, it's yeah a worker yeah. bee that's yeah. what it's designed to produce it's designed and to say hey, let's take the masses and pump them into this system yep. to make sure that they can go work for someone um if, if the government was a business it'd be a damn well-run business <laughs> well, i mean it is it is right it is um so it's it's interesting but the people that thrive outside of school or just in general, have found a way to learn something that school wasn't teaching them mm-hmm. on their own, right? And I think Agreed. that's really 
if you've got to take any successful thing you've ever done above what maybe your peers have, have also done, you took the time and invested the time in yourself to learn something that no one had at the time. And not just learn it, but be willing to take the risk to create and implement a solution for a problem that existed. So I don't, I think we, we tend to weigh heavily on our school system and say like, oh man, it sucks and it produces terrible. Mm -hmm. It's doing what it's designed to do. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's, it's doing exactly what it's designed to do. And if you want more than that, then you have to do that and more, right? We can't say, well, no, our, my school system should uh, pump me out as a CEO. When I graduate, I should be the CEO of Apple. Like, no, that's, that's not what that's designed to do. We, we don't need that many CEOs of Apple. No. We need more people um, manufacturing products and, 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 and packaging and shipping, mm -hmm. right? right? Like, go do that. Yeah, the supply chain. Yeah, We're exactly. Real issues today. That's, yeah. that's a big issue. But um, no, I totally agree with you, 100%. I mean, you can talk about, um, you know, doing things for the right reasons, but, but man, it always comes down to really understanding yourself, um, you know, in a, in a really molecular level, right? Just understanding what makes you tick. Right? What makes you angry? What makes you sad? And that too, addressing those challenges internally can ultimately is, is a form of growth, right? It's, it's, you know, it's a, you put yourself in a situation where, you know, you grow up in a, you know, a struggled family, right? Maybe your, your father or mother wasn't around, you know, you're male, female that impacts us. Right. And a lot of people don't think so, but it impacts us for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you don't address it. So I think, you know, when it comes to those who are young, understand your situation, right? Understand that if your dad is not around, that you're, there are going to be certain pitfalls. There yep. are going to be certain habits that you create. There are going to be certain personality traits that are the byproduct of that. And you have to understand what that is and ultimately what you want it to be. Because, and I'll take you for example, you know, I grew up, I didn't know my dad until I was you know, a little bit older. I don't even remember meeting him, um, to be honest with you. So I looked at, you know, my, my stepdad, I looked at my grandfather, I, you know, and eventually my dad, all as father figures, right? My uncle, my uncle Dave, um, both of them. And um, what I did from a very early age, and I was so blessed to have this situation I was in because I didn't realize it at the time, but I was molding a really well-rounded individual. You know, mm -hmm. I was being molded into one from a young age. So I took examples from all those father figures. And I said, yep. okay, here's... Here's what my grandfather does that, you know what, I, I really, I should probably stay away from, right? Yep. You know, it's selfish, it's, you know, it's gonna impact people in a negative way. Yep. Um, you know, I look at my Uncle Dave, okay, here's, here's how to bring humor to something, right? Here's how to apply your own sense of, you know, humility uh, and humor and whatever the case, right? So I just took that and, and I made it my own and I said, okay, you know what? Here's who I am, but here's who I wanna be, yep. right? And, and I began that sort of, you know, long growth development right. pattern, right? Of, of trying to figure out, you know, who I am, who I want to be and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I understood that from a young age, what, which is what put me in the position to, you know, for one, I mean, yeah, I can sit here and talk about it, but ultimately I feel a certain sense of gratitude. You know, I think that's where I find that it's um, a really interesting point is that because I feel so much gratitude, I feel that I affect so many other lives in a positive way because of that. And that to me makes me happy. That to me is a, a life, you know, well lived in a way. And, um, 
you know, so you, you just don't understand, you know, the implications at a young age of, nope. of everything going on. And you have to and understand, you, <laughs> you know, at that age, it's, it's, you're, you're taking in so much information. It's hard to digest it and see what's probably not good for you at the time, right? You're just taking it all in and you're trying to make the, the best decisions as you go. But I think as you get older and start understanding the importance of going back and addressing some of those things that maybe were just left unaddressed for so long and start asking yourself why you feel certain ways about certain things. Um, I make it a practice to do that a lot. And that's probably why a lot of people say I'm an overthinker and you're similar. Yeah, um, very much. But I'll, I'll take a situation that made me feel a certain way, whether it be good or bad, and I'll, I'll analyze that feeling and say, okay, Austin, why are you upset about this? And then I'll, I'll go to that first level. Oh, where this person said this thing about you. Okay, well, but why did that upset you though? Right, and then you start deep diving deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you discover something about yourself that you probably don't like. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that's why a lot of people, I think, don't tend to follow that process. It's because they followed it down the rabbit hole before, and they've gotten to something about themselves that they don't like that much. You know, you know? that's a good point. I'm going to kind of jump in there too because I think to sort of add on to that, and you've done this a lot lately too. I you know, especially over the last few years, as, as I've seen you grow and mature and, and you know, be more well-rounded, I think um, I, I really, for the last few years, I've taken a great deal of time to understand myself um, at that molecular level that involved understanding my archetype, my personality, how it affects myself, how it affects others, but then also understanding things like how I learn and develop, mm -hmm. right? I didn't know until I was, you know, what was it, 26 or something like that, that I was a physical and visual learner. You know, I, I understood that, you know, internally, but I didn't understand fully what that meant. And so when I had the data right in front of me showing me, hey, audio, zero percent, you know, and, and I was told, you know, I had a learning disability growing up because I just couldn't retain the information that was being taught to me verbally. And you look at that and you go, man, I thought I was so dumb. So wait, what do you mean time. that you had the data right in front of you? Is this a yeah. test that you took? Or yeah, something? an assessment. So I, I do, I do various because, you know, let's be honest, there's no assessment that's perfect. So I, I do multiple and I sort of build a series of, you know, data points and, and collectively, you know, make uh, a good understanding of whatever that data is. And in this case, you know, education, right? Understanding how I educate myself, how I learn, how I can develop. And I've started doing that about four years ago and I do it once a year just to see if things change and develop and how they do. Um, particularly learning is the, is the slowest moving or slowest altering, I feel, of all the different metrics in my life that I measure, um, which I find super interesting because 45% is phys physical learning, right? So I have to physically, you know, by definition, I should have been a construction worker, right? Or an architect okay. or whatever, you know, having my hands on something. Um, you know, which is really interesting. And I got uh, some dishes that need to get done. Yeah, right. right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. Not today, farmer. Not today. Oh, I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I understood that, my whole life suddenly made sense. And if I, and I think back, if I only understood that at 18, 12, 16, whatever the case is, I would have been in such a better place mentally and emotionally. I wouldn't have felt as dumb. I wouldn't have felt like I couldn't. Did you feel dumb? Oh, I did for a long time because I was being told that by teachers, school system, doctors. Oh, you so have, it was like you, you have weren't ADD. learning. You have a learning pace. disability because of my learning pace, and all that's, that's all they were taking. Right? There was just essentially a 
10 question assessment that the doctor would ask me or that the school teacher, or whoever it was, would ask me. And they would collectively tell, oh, he has a learning disability. Well, no, everything that was being asked of me or taught to me was verbal. And I didn't understand that or put that, you know, two and two together at the time. Um, but that's a, there's a reason I excelled in classes like science and math, you know, did very, very well because I had my hands writing out the equation. I had a, a visual and physical representation of that right in front of me as opposed to English, did not do so hot in, right? You know, people reading out loud, having to read out loud myself, you know, it wasn't a learning disability. I couldn't, not that I read any slower. I just had difficulty understanding what I was hearing versus what I was actually moving with my hands and seeing with my eyes. So what's the recommendation to the younger version of Aaron in regards to understanding her? If you could go back and talk to you at 18 years old and, and, and mm -hmm. give yourself a recommendation or for the people that are listening, the younger folks, like what's yeah. your recommendation on understanding your archetype, understanding your learning ability? How do you go about doing that? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think first off, I would actually start younger. Uh, I, would, I would actually start probably preteen, maybe, maybe 11, 12, because that's when your mindset is sort of, it's still growing, right? You're, you're still developing in a lot of ways, but, but you have a really well-rounded understanding, a lot better than people think. Of, of you and the life that surrounds you. And the only difference is you just have lack of experience to um, contrast that and to understand that in, from a depth perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think first off, I would start um, at 11 or 12, right? And start what? Like I what? would start this package, right? And that's what I'll explain is I, I would put together, a, we'll call it an educational package. And three or four drivers of that would be understand your archetype, which is essentially describing how you interact with the world. How does your being, your personality, your, you know, your skill sets, your, your traits, personality, everything, how does it impact other people, right? Um, understanding that is huge because you understand um, at that point how other people are emotionally and mentally affected by you. And, and you know, that's directly surrounded by you. And so um, understanding that's important, I feel like, um, I feel that a good secondary is understanding the depth of your personality, you know, the, the type of personality that you are. Um, there are many different, you know, strengths and weaknesses with different personalities and, and understanding, you know, sort of what you should focus on, um, whether it be communication or analytics or whatever the case is, a lot of times can help you in your career later on, but in the immediate helps you understand yourself to the point where you know how to interact with people better, right? And you understand, um, you know, how that affects you too. Um, so, uh, is there a website for this? Like, do you, are you going online yeah. and just like, what can someone Google yeah. and find? Or maybe we can include a link, you know. Yeah, we can definitely include a link. So there, there are a few, and, and I don't know them off the top of my head. Um, I have them actually stored in, in my Google account, but um, there are two archetype assessments and quizzes that you can take that help define your archetype, understanding all the breakdowns of, of you know, your strengths and weaknesses and how it affects other people. And then there's a personality, I think 16 personality is probably the best one I've seen so far. It's the most um, granular and, and super in depth and, and very understandable. Um, they, they present the data in a very well-written way so you understand it very easily. Um, I think that's good. And I, you know, to date, here's what's gonna be surprising is that third piece, I'm actually, I'm gonna add in education in the sense of understand your learning type, your learning uh, ability. Because a lot of people, and the science doesn't back it, right? The science says, you know, 
ultimately there's no way that this can impact your growth, we'll say, right? That's very high level, but there's no data that supports that. However, my personal experience is different in that when I understood that, I was able to then adjust how I was learning to make sure that I was continuously growing at the pace that I felt I was comfortable with, you know, mm. and, and pushing the envelope. Um, so when you have your archetype, you know how you affect other people. When you have your personality, you know how you affect yourself, right? And when you have your learning, you understand how you can best implement that and develop that information over time. And I think the, the one, two, three punches is, is huge. Um, and I would, yeah, 11, 12 years old, I would, I would package that up and deliver it, you know, and, and, and it's very easy to understand, easy to teach. And I feel that anybody can do it as a parent or otherwise. It's so interesting because I, the way my, my brain thinks is like, man, I'd be almost a little nervous to take, and I actually have taken some of those tests, but I don't ever like feeling boxed in right by something <laughs> yeah. or defined. Mm -hmm. So it's like when someone says, you know, you're this type of personality, which means you're good at this and you're bad at that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I ain't bad at shit. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm gonna go get good at that stuff too. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, I do definitely think it's interesting to, to know that information and, and beyond interesting. I think it's, it's critical to understand. I think you need to understand yourself, develop what, what your baseline is from a personality and learning and development perspective so you know how you think, why you think the way you think, and then the best way to ingest information for you to be able to grow, to your point. Let, yeah, exactly, and let me add on to that because what you just explained is a very, very good example. I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit because the difference in how somebody sees that information is the key driver, right? If you see that information, you go, okay, here's what I need uh, to use from an implementation standpoint in terms of how I live my life to be the, the best version of myself or the most successful, whatever that looks like, that's one, right? That's the positive way of looking at it. The negative is the boxed in feeling, right? Yeah. Oh, this is what boxes me in. Ooh, my fears. Ooh, ah, you know, yep. I don't know. Oh, I'm human. Oh, what the hell? That, that doesn't make sense, <laughs> you know? And, um, and it's easy to understand both. And it's easy to, to, you know, look at it from a boxed in standpoint, but if you really, if you stay strong to your, you know, your positive methods and you just take things for what they are, um, and you understand how it can, how it can help you grow. I think that's a hundred percent where it comes in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, learning about yourself, yeah. right? Cause not a lot of people spend a lot of time doing that. And I've just found in my own personal life that to be super, Getting a little noise here. <laughs> um, that to be super important because once you understand yourself and your foundation, to your point, you, you understand how you interact in the world around you. And then mm -hmm. you start to take a less selfish look at your life and start realizing how you can positively impact the world around you and the people around you and the community around you. And it all stems from you understanding yourself. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely comes highly recommended i actually got you had asked me a question before and it, it made me think of a, a quick story um of it. it was what was the question you asked me like how did i how did i define myself or or know i'm just going to tell a story because i can't remember the question you asked me <laughs> um please but so i think i was i don't know how old i was maybe seven or eight years old um at my mom's house now and every time I looked at my closet when it was at night 
Like I had all these clothes in there. It just looked like there was some guy standing in there, bro. <laughs> it just looked, I swear I saw someone standing in there. And it would be night after night that I would just be laying in my bed and my bed faced the, the door to the room and the closet was right there. So I'd be facing the door, but I could see the closet and I'd forget to close it and I'd leave it open and I'd see these clothes and then I'd see this guy standing in my closet and I'm like, I'm dead. It's <laughs> taking me out, dude. <laughs> and then um, one day I was laying in there. It was probably three, four in the morning and I'm just staring at this guy and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't sleep. <laughs> like, this is really affecting me. And I was like, I'm going to just get up and walk in there. And I stood up and I walked over to the closet. And I just pushed the clothes and they just swung. And at that moment, I was like, I felt like I defined my personality in a sense where it's like, I cannot be tortured by something. I have to address it and from now on, anything that bothers me or makes me uncomfortable, I am going to address it. And I'm not going to let it sit and fester and bother me because that just creates so, so much negativity. And I would rather, what I felt like at the time was, risk my life <laughs> and address this thing rather than yeah. keep putting it on the back burner because I'm scared to address it. So I share that just because I think it's a, it's a critical piece that some people may be missing in the sense of they know there's something that needs to be addressed. Um, we all do. We all have those things internally, but we get scared to see what we're going to find. And I think as we start to just address those things, we find those, those scary things, but then we also find the light right at the end of the tunnel. And, and then to your point, how to grow and develop from that. Um, I mean, you hit it on the, on the head, right? Um, yeah, I mean, understanding from a young age, your emotions, you know, how to, you know, how to impact others, you know, with, with positivity, you know, just very, very simple things. I think we can do a better job as a society, but ultimately, you know, it comes down to the individuals and the family and the households, um, to do a better job of, of just teaching the next generation how to deal with those things, how to deal with your emotions, how to understand yep. other people's perspectives. That's something that's just not talked about. It's not. Enough. It's not. And I think it's getting better over time. Yeah. Um, Information. But yeah, yeah, but it's just something, I think especially for guys too, there's just less of that emotional kind of uh, health that's discussed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, it takes time. Like when you were between the ages of 16 and 25, there were just certain things you couldn't even say to your boys on how you felt oh, yeah, because no. it's going to get massacred. Oh, yeah. You're going to get roasted. It was over. <laughs> You're donezo, dude. <laughs> like, you had to keep all that in here. Mm -hmm. and then, But obviously, as you get older and mature, you start realizing the importance of addressing those things and speaking on those things. And, and you start to hit that weird, awkward age, probably, I don't know, 23 to 25, where you start to let that happen and then your instinct is to maybe roast someone when, you know, when they open up a little bit and you're like, oh man, I could have just really got him right there, but he's opening up yeah. and, you know, now we can actually build off of something and he's, he's revealing another part of his personality that I didn't understand before, or she's revealing a part of her personality that I didn't really understand before. And I've got to be now able to grow myself and mature and realize that mm -hmm. 
these aren't moments for, for me to be putting someone down. These are moments for, for me to be listening, right? Even though I've always got that joke just ready to just <laughs> nail somebody, you know, but it, it's, yeah. it's just interesting because over time you just start to learn that, hey, like we've got to be a little bit more in tune with each other, you know, on an, on an emotional status and an emotional level. And it just takes time to grow to that. Yeah. And it's really just listen first, talk second. You know? Yeah. Just listen first, talk second. I think, you know, as a, as a young kid, I, I tried to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I used to get frustrated a lot. You know, very, very frustrated if, if somebody couldn't understand me. Um, I've learned as I've gotten older that I, I just have a different way. Uh, my brain's wired different. I have a different way of explaining things, different way of understanding things. And I don't know if that's good or bad or sideways, who knows, you know what I mean? But, um, but I knew that from a young age because my dad, when I first started building my relationship with my dad, when I remember that, it was around 11 or 12 actually. Um, you know, he used, to, he used to teach me through experience, right? And, and, you know, woodworking or, you know, riding a dirt bike or whatever the case was, there was always a lesson involved um, that he understood from behind the scenes. And I think that, you know, the way he would explain things or the, the, the open forum of, uh, you know, having, having me experience whatever it was that I was going to do allowed me to really understand, you know, kind of how I'm thinking, um, how, you know, how I feel about things. Um, and he, he always let me talk first. You know, that's kind of what I'm getting to is that he always, no matter what the deal was, if I was hurt, if I was angry, if I was sad, if I was happy, every single time, he let me talk first, right? And so it allowed me to, when you say these things out loud, you understand them better for yourself, you know? And then sometimes, and you got to understand your communication method. Me, that was speaking out loud. I'm physical, right? Um, but a good secondary to that is writing things down. You know, there's a big advantage, even for guys, you know, talking back to the scenario you just brought up. I know it's not cool to keep a diary or a journal, dudes, but keep one. See, right there, I just had so much. I, like, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, just it's so easy. <laughs> you know, okay. and it's fun. You got to keep things light. Too. Yeah, you know, you got to joke it. around a little bit, too. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's true, though, man. You know, you just got to you gotta listen first, talk second. But it's, it, it goes all back to, like, understanding yourself. Too, right yeah. like there are certain guys that probably don't need a diary right and then there's certain guys where that may be a really really critical important piece to your your development mm -hmm. and your mindset is actually every day reviewing that day and writing that down and visualizing it and then creating a, a, your next day's goal or, or objective based on what you're seeing there right so I think a lot of the times there isn't enough connection between what we continually use is output versus, versus input, right? Like yeah. where a lot of people aren't connecting what they're doing to their success. They're thinking that, well, I think I'm doing what I should be doing to be successful, but, but they're not actually connecting that. Right, but it's somebody else's. Exactly, somebody else's version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, see success is, there should not even be a word called success. It shouldn't exist. Yeah, um, it makes it sound finite. It makes it sound yeah. like it's this thing, Yeah. right? And it's not. It's, it's an everyday decision. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, yeah. Success is God. It's such a funny thing because society has this sort of ball and chain wrapped around it. Like you're, you know, you're not successful unless you're in business, right? Yeah. Or unless you climb the ladder within a company. Yeah. You know, success is defined in so many ways, man. If I, if I had life my way and I'm actively working towards that, you know, I have the ability to impact small businesses 
and, uh, and owners to grow both personally and professionally. That's like the ideal situation for me. That's where yeah. I know my archetype. I know my personality traits. I know where some of my strengths and weaknesses are in terms of how I can help people and how I can help myself selfishly um, in the world today. That's the ideal situation, right? That's success to me. But that doesn't mean that I'm running a $100 million hedge fund, right? Exactly. That doesn't mean that I'm CEO of Apple. That doesn't mean that I went to Harvard. I didn't even go to college, right? And I've got just as much success, if not more, in my own right, to exactly. my own goals than a lot of other people I so think, have for themselves. We're, we are going a little bit over yeah, <laughs> right now. So let's, let's wrap it up with, with success and defining that. Define like what, what is true success? It is the crossroads of what makes you, and I, and I hate this open word, I don't hate it, um, but happiness and, and joyfulness um, within one's life. And I think, you know, maybe that's a little cheesy, hallmarky, but I, but I think that's the best way to describe it because ultimately when you're successful, you feel success, it means that you're most happy with that outcome, right? It means that you're having the most joyful experience um, from whatever the circumstance of your life is. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's ultimately the underline and, and the description of what true success is. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. how would you define that? Um, I think it's understanding your purpose mm. and Huge. the meaning of your life. And, and then actually actively attempting to execute, create and then execute a strategy to achieve that purpose. Mm -hmm. And seeing progress towards that purpose is what the success is. So understanding yourself, why you're here, what you're, what you're supposed to do while you're here, and then actively every day growing and, and attempting to achieve what that purpose is and then seeing the growth like that. Just even understanding why you're here is success. <laughs> um, and then growing towards that is, is success as well. So it's, it's bigger than financial. And I think that's how typically yeah. we all tend to relate success is, you know, if you're making X dollar amount or you own a business, we don't really think of success in terms of mindset. And I think mm -hmm. that that's a global shift that needs to happen here. That's a major problem. <laughs> Right, major. where we, we need to start looking at people that think a certain way as successful, not people that have certain things. Because I think we all know a couple bozos on TikTok or something that <laughs> got a lot of money, but it's just like, this person is an idiot. Well, and to, put, know? A, and to put a bow on that, you know, this, there's a huge difference in the idea of money can buy you things or happiness, right? It, and you can do a lot with money. It allows you to live the lifestyle and do the things that you otherwise couldn't do. Bar none, don't, you know, that, that's the definition, right? Um, but when you look at a financial experience, right, it's a lot different than it is from having a personal experience. And let me define the two. A personal experience is something that is unrelated to or untapped by financial input, right? Going up to somebody and having a conversation, right? hopping on a boat that uh, somebody invited you to just to go to an island and you know have a great day and on a beach or something like that, right? Those personal experiences are also ultimately what drive our deepest emotions and connection with the world and relationships with human beings. 
That's where everything foundationally derives from. So finance or financial decision um, or opportunity or experience is really, you know, a limited version of that, I feel, um, because you, you get so much more rich, um, you know, gratified feelings from an experience that's personal as opposed to financial. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that that's not necessarily understandable to a lot of people, but that's kind of how I, I view that. And I think that that's, there's a huge difference. So understanding, you know, there, there's a difference between paying for that, that first class ticket, um, you know, or just having the experience of a plane ride. You know, there's, yeah. there's a big difference in the mindset behind that. So, yeah. Big. All right, Mr. Bartman. Well, I appreciate it. Mr. Farmer, appreciate it, man. I shall. See you next time. All right, man.